goes out in a podcast. Can you believe that? <laughs> what will they think of next? Our first scripture reading this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 18, verses 22 through 24. I actually extended it a bit and then forgot to tell Claudia. Listen to God's word. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham came near and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the sake of 50 righteous who are living there? Our second reading is from 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through the first part of verse 21 and verses 27 and 28. Listen again to God's word. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, I pray you, from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I have heard your prayer to me about this king, Sennacherib of of Assyria, This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. And finally, from the prophet Amos, the seventh chapter, verses one through six. This is what the Lord God showed me. He was forming locusts at the time the latter growth began to sprout. It was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord, God, forgive, I beg you. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. And the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me. The Lord God was calling for a shower of fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. And then I said, O Lord, cease, I beg you. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. And the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Probably one of the strangest sets of readings we have ever used. But there's a reason for it. They seem disjointed, but they're really not that disjointed. We see first Abraham trying to talk God out of destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and telling God, what if there are 50 good people there? You're going to destroy, what's the world going to say about you as a God if just because you're mad at these people, you kill these people too? Is that the, the, the image you want in this world? Kind of a dangerous thing to say to God, I think. But God listened. And God talked with him. And for those of us who know that story, we do know God compromised all the way down to a very small number of righteous people who could spare Sodom and Gomorrah their faith. Abraham negotiated with God, and God answered by compromising. 
And then we hear the story of King Hezekiah who's taken the threats from King Sennacherib of Assyria. That's one of the Assyrians were one of the only groups against Israel that wasn't called an ite. There you go. Okay. But Sennacherib had sent King Hezekiah a letter saying, look, look all around you. Look what I have done to all these places. In spite of their gods, no one and no god has been able to stop me. So either surrender your kingdom or I will visit upon you a living hell. Your God can't save you. And Hezekiah took the letter that Sennacherib had sent him into the temple, laid it out on the floor and read it to God and said, look what this man, this mere mortal, is saying about you. They're about to destroy us. Are you going to let that happen? And God had planned on letting it happen because he was not terribly happy with Israel. But when he heard Hezekiah share those words, what would you call that? I'm lost for a word. (laughs) Those arrogant words. Your God can't save you. Nobody's God has saved them yet. I'm the one you need to fear. And God said, yeah, I don't think so. And so the Assyrians were struck by a plague and they had to go home. Don't tell anybody that God can't save them. Because you'll turn out to be wrong. But then Amos is being shown what God is going to do to the the people of Israel. And he's talking about it as though it's Jacob himself, which happens a lot in Scripture. And he says, look, if you do this, Lord, Jacob is no more. Are you really going to do that? And God says both times, okay, no, I'm not going to do that. What's wrong with our God? God makes up God's mind, and you would think God would just stick to it, wouldn't you? Come on, you said you're going to destroy him, let's go. I want to see this rain of fire. I want to see the tidal waves knocking them off of their feet and dragging them out to sea. There's a reason, and I'm going to circle back to it, but I want to share a story with you that kind of helps pull it all together to some degree. When I was in social psychology class, my undergraduate work, our uh, social psych professor showed us he had this reel of stuff from Candid Camera. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Smile, you're on Candid Camera. Those dreaded words. They had put, it was the old black and white version too, they had put a camera in an elevator. And they put four Confederates, four people who were in on what was happening, dressed just like normal business people in that elevator. And when somebody would get on, all the people would stand quietly because you just don't talk in an elevator. They would stand quietly and then everyone except this person who got on would turn to the side. And the person who got on would look around them and after a few seconds, they turned to you. 
And when people turned, when the Confederates turned and looked to the back, those people turned right with them. And then the next time, when they, by the time they got to that third stage of looking this way, the Confederate was paying attention and moved right with them until they got all the way back around. And that happened for five or six different people. And it was the funniest thing we'd ever watched. These poor people don't know what's going on. Nobody tells them what's happening. Nobody says a word to them. But you've got to conform. How can you be the only person facing the door when apparently everyone else knows something you don't know? It's hard. When I was a little child, I saw a turtle in the street. We were living in Canyon, Texas on 8th Avenue. It got some Canyon people here. And I saw a turtle in the street. I was about three. And I went in the house and I said, Dad, there's a turtle in the street down there. And Dad came outside and he looked and he said, son, that's just a can. I said, no, Dad, it's a turtle. It's a turtle. Son, it's just a can. I want to go see it. Well, you can't leave the yard right now and Dad's busy. So you just, it's a can, trust me. But my dad stopped and thought, and he knew me. <laughs> and he knew that I wasn't going to take his word that that was a can. That I was going to walk down there by myself if he didn't take me. And then I'd be in trouble. So dad said, come on, let's go see it. And I remember clear as a bell getting to that spot and looking at it and going, oh, it's a can. Because it was. Dad was right. But he knew I wouldn't take his word for it. And he knew what was going to happen if he didn't take me. So he compromised. He stopped what he was doing. He took me down there in order to keep me from getting in trouble. I thought, what a guy. Not at the time, but now I think back to it. I think, that's how you do it. You get in front of the problem. And I do remember that any time he told us to do something and we would have this idea of why do we have to do that? We never got to ask because he would tell us when he told us to do it. I need you to do this because this, 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 and this. Okay. There's no why to it. So he compromised in spite of the fact that he was right. And he took me down there. He needed to study and he met me halfway. He met me somewhere in that and worked with it so our relationship wouldn't be strained for the rest of the afternoon or however long. It wasn't necessary for that to happen. That's what compromise is about. And that's part of what's going on in our scriptures. God is compromising not because God can't stick to what God intends to do, not because God hasn't made up God's mind. God is compromising because God loves humanity. And that's what it's about. In all of our scriptures, basically God's had enough and he's going to destroy somebody. Somebody's going to pay. And in every case, those patriarchs, those kings and the prophet, they're all trying to get God to compromise. They're begging God, please don't. 
And surprisingly enough, I mean, if you stop and think about who God is, God says, okay, all right, we'll work this out. I'm, I won't destroy everyone and everything. The question is, why is God willing to compromise? Why is God willing to listen to our reasons? Are our reasons really that good? Are we able to make a wonderful argument every time and God just has to back down? I don't think so. I think what's really going on there is something that we don't stop and think about enough. Each debate, each compromise that's happening is not happening because of the difference between what is righteous and what is evil. Those compromises are not the heart of the debate. I think God compromised because the heart of the debate was human beings. What was at stake in all cases? The lives of God's children that God was really upset with. And God was going to destroy them. But when these people appealed to God to remember his love for humanity, God agreed to compromise. Was God being weak? Not possible. God's not weak. Was God giving in to some evil force? No. God only changed God's mind, changes God's mind when it pleases him. And for no other reason. Was God sacrificing some righteous principle and letting it go? No. God has this serious love for humanity. God looks at us and binds his own actions to our well-being. When God looks and says, I'm going to do this, and somebody says, but remember who we are? You love us. You made us. Can't you give us a break? And God relents. Think about this. When it comes to compromise, what is our problem as human beings? Remember when people who took a hard line on some issue were seen as unreasonable? The person who wouldn't compromise on some issue was seen as a pariah. Well, you can't deal with them. They never will compromise and work things out. Remember when children were taught to cooperate with each other and to share? I'm sure you do because we were those children. Remember that? And we would get praised for working things out so that we could all be at peace. Everybody got a little of what they wanted, but nobody got all of what they wanted. And oh, we could go on playing. We were taught to compromise, to share, and to cooperate with other children because they're people too. Think about this too. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That was against the law, according to the Pharisees. He picked grain on the Sabbath and ate it, which was also against the law, according to the Pharisees. Why would he do something like that? 
because God wants people to be well and God wants people to be fed. And that's the law. God didn't create the law in order that we could be slaves to it. God created the law so that the law would serve our best interests. He didn't create it as a giant fly swatter. He's not waiting for us to break the law so God can crush us. God is waiting for us to get things right and has bought us all the time we ever need through his son's life. But everything Jesus did that seemed to be about breaking the law wasn't because the heart of the matter was humanity, not the law. The heart of the matter was not anyone's righteousness. The heart of the matter was God's love for us. I think what's wrong with us these days is our own egos. For some reason, I can't possibly be wrong. No. I'm right. Everybody else is wrong. Don't you understand that? And if I work out a compromise with you, I have abandoned all my principles and sold out. Anyone who brings up compromise, that's who they are. They're a coward. They're a sellout. Well, can't we work this? Oh, you people. Remember when compromise was noble? Remember when it was something we admired in people? Remember when it was noble because it made everybody's life better. Remember when compromise was a mark of maturity. Remember that? You could look at somebody and say, you can always talk with them. You can work things out. You'll know where you stand with them and everything will be fine. Now it's don't talk to them. They'll want to compromise and we're not compromising on anything. So there. Remember when sacrificing our, our own self-interest for some higher purpose was admirable? When it was what we were taught to aspire to? I think compromise is still noble. I think compromise is still a mark of a mature soul. And I admire it. And the reason is God's example. God compromised. Of all the beings anywhere that you can imagine, the one being who does not have to compromise on anything said, okay, let me back up for a minute and let's see what we can figure out here. God's a coward. God's a sellout. I don't think so. I think God is the example. God compromised with Abraham. He compromised with Hezekiah. He compromised with Amos. And there are many, many examples of God compromising for the good of humanity all throughout Scripture. And God's compromise with us is this, and it's very simple. God pays the price. We pay nothing and receive all the benefits. 
And for some reason, in God's eyes, that's not a losing compromise. That's a winning compromise. Because God loves us. And God desires us. Our society has made somehow compromise a dirty word. No, we can't work with those people. We don't agree with them. You need to go back and watch some Sesame Street. (laughs) I, I think they should make everybody sit down and watch hours of Sesame Street until they agree to compromise. And even that, let's make them sit down and watch Mr. Rogers. Remember what he taught us? You're wonderful. I'm wonderful. Yes, we're going to have conflicts, but we love each other and we'll figure it out. Yeah, let's sit them all down and make them watch Mr. Rogers for a few hours. We probably have to tie them to their chairs and brace their eyes open and not let them look away. But it's the way of our Lord who always compromises with us. Think about it. God not only compromises with us, God always compromises in favor of us. In favor of our health and well-being, in favor of our happiness, in favor of our very existence. So what's our problem? Amen. Come, let's stand and say who we are and to whom we belong.